Welcome to the Raised with Jesus podcast, 10 minutes every day where the life of Jesus meets yours. You've got your daily Bible reading for March 31st, 2020. Today, looking at Romans chapters 3 and 4. Romans chapter 3. What advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what benefit is there to circumcision? Much in every way. Indeed, above all else, they were entrusted with the messages of God. Now, what if some did not believe? Their unbelief will not nullify God's faithfulness, will it? Absolutely not. God must be true even though everyone is found to be a liar, just as it is written, so that you would be justified whenever you speak, and win the case when you judge. Now if our unrighteousness demonstrates God's righteousness, what shall we say? God is not unjust in bringing his wrath on us, is he? I am speaking from a human point of view. Absolutely not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? For example... Someone might say, If by my lie the truth of God increases all the more to his glory, why am I still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, as some slanderously claim we say, Let us do evil so that good may result? Their condemnation is deserved. What then? Are we any better off? No, not at all. In fact, we have already made the charge that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, just as it is written. There is no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who searches for God. They have all turned away. Together they became useless. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They keep deceiving with their tongues. The poison of asps is on their lips. Their mouth is filled with cursing and bitterness. Their feet are quick to shed blood. They leave a trail of destruction and suffering wherever they go. The way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God in front of their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says is addressed to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world be subject to God's judgment. For this reason, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by works of the law, for through the law we become aware of sin. But now, completely apart from the law, a righteousness from God has been made known. The law and the prophets testify to it. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all and over all who believe. In fact, there is no difference, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God publicly displayed as the atonement seat through faith in His blood. God did did this to demonstrate His justice, since, in His divine restraint, He had left the sins that were committed earlier unpunished. He did this to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so that he would be both just and the one who justifies the person who has faith in Jesus. What happens to boasting then? It has been eliminated. By what principle? By the principle of works? No, but by the principle of faith. For we conclude that a person is justified by faith without the works of the law. Or is he only the God of the Jews? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, also of the Gentiles. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised person by faith and the uncircumcised person through the very same faith, so are we doing away with the law by this faith? Absolutely not. Instead, we are upholding the law. Romans chapter 4 What then will we say that Abraham our forefather discovered according to the flesh? If indeed Abraham had been justified by works, he would have had a reason to boast, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to a person who works, his pay is not counted as a gift, but as something owed. 
but to the person who does not work, but believes in the God who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited to him as righteousness. This is exactly what David says about the blessed state of the person to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Now then, does this blessing apply only to the circumcised, or also to the uncircumcised? To be sure, we maintain that faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. So then, under what circumstances was it credited to him? Was he circumcised or uncircumcised at that time? He was not circumcised, but uncircumcised, and he received the mark of circumcision as the seal of the righteousness by faith that was already his, while he was uncircumcised. So Abraham is the father of all the uncircumcised people who believe, so that righteousness would also be credited to them. He is also the father of the circumcised people, who are not merely circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Indeed, the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not given to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness that is by faith. To be sure, if some people are heirs by the law, faith is empty, and the promise is nullified, for law brings wrath. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. For this reason the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to grace, and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's descendants, not only to the one who is a descendant by law, but also to the one who has the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of God, Abraham believed him who makes the dead alive and calls non-existing things so that they exist. Hoping beyond what he could expect, he believed that he would become the father of many nations just as he was told. This is how many your descendants will be. He did not weaken in faith, even though he considered his own body as good as dead because he was about 100 years old, and even though he considered Sarah's womb to be dead. He did not waver in unbelief with respect to God's promise, but he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Now the statement, it was credited to him, was not written for him alone, but also for us, to whom it would be credited, namely, to us who believe in the one who raised our Lord Jesus from the dead. He was handed over to death because of our trespasses, and was raised to life because of our justification. This is the word of our God. We've begun the book of Romans, and one thing that I really like about the book of Romans, um, among all the things that they're hard to like, is that the chapter divisions are nearly perfect. Um, You can't say this about every single book of the Bible, but in Romans they really work out well partly because Paul is writing with a very, very tight outline in mind. And so the chapter divisions just fall at the same breaks or divisions that the outline would break. And so chapter 1, after his opening thesis in verses 1 through 16, that... Um, that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And that is the, the thesis for the entire book. And he spends the rest of the book proving that point. And then um, about midway through the book, he flips, you know, right around chapter chapter 12, he flips to showing what what the outcome of that righteousness by faith through the gospel really is. Um, You know, chapters 1 through 11, through the end of chapter 11, he proves righteousness by faith through the gospel. 
In chapter 12 to the end, he talks about the results of that righteousness by faith through the gospel. And so we pick it up today in chapters 3 and 4. But just a quick overview, chapter 1, after he got through his thesis statement, which was Romans 1 verse 16, then he spends the rest of chapter 1 basically demonstrating that God holds holds unbelievers and Gentiles accountable. And because he really sets up this contrast, he's talking about unbelievers or people who, you know, Gentiles who do not have the the written word of God in chapter 1. And in chapter 2, he talks about Jews who did have the written word of God. And in chapter one, we see that those who do not have the written word of God are held accountable based on the conscience, based on the natural law that God had given to them in their heart. And in chapter two, we see that even the Jews are held accountable to that, as well as held accountable by the written, revealed word of God. So then that really leads us into chapter three. Um, chapter 3, which demonstrates that no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by obedience through the law, but rather through the law we become conscious of sin. And this is first highlighted in chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, which was kind of the concluding statement of that portion of his outline. Uh, Verse 19 and 20. For we know that, or now we know that whatever the law says is addressed to those who are under the law. The purpose of the law is this, so that every mouth will be silenced and the whole world will be subject to God's judgment. For this reason, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by works of the law, for through the law we become aware of sin. And that's kind of the concluding statement of the first, you know, two and a half chapters of blistering law. Um, Chapter one, blistering law against those who do not have the word of God, the Gentiles. Chapter two, blistering law against those who do have the word of God, the Jews. Chapter three, uh, verse 20, the concluding statement that God holds all accountable that the Jews didn't live up to the written word of God, that the Gentiles didn't live up to the natural knowledge of God. And Paul says, we are all lost, hopeless, helpless, in God's sight, worthless, without future, without hope, without any of it. But now, verse 21, uh, what I sometimes refer to as the divine but, B-U-T, the divine turning point. That is the case, verse 20. But now, verse 21. Completely apart from the law, a righteousness from God has been made known. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all and over all who believe. And he goes on to prove this point. And the primary example that he has for us here is um, after, you know, uh, two paragraphs of explanation there at the end of chapter three, the primary example that we have is Abraham. Uh, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. You know that guy. Um, And Abraham is is talked about as being justified by faith. And the Jewish people are like, but Abraham was a Jew, and Abraham was circumcised. And Paul says, you know, Paul is very well aware of that. He's well instructed in, in the Word of God. He knew his Bible history backwards and forwards. And he he refers to um, refers to God calling Abraham. And it's very important, especially if you're following along in a paper Bible or in an app, to follow the footnotes. Um, and some knowledge of the life of Abraham is very helpful here as well. As well as when this ex- exact same example of Abraham is taken up in the book of James. You know, one day we'll get to the book of James in our podcast. And it's very important, especially in the book of James, to track the footnotes um, and the references to the point in time that is encased in those footnotes. So anyway, the point that he says here in um, talking about Abraham, the one who is justified, he was, it was credited to him as righteousness, um, is that Abraham wasn't circumcised yet. The crediting of righteousness took place in chapter 15 
at the call of Abraham. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Chapter 15, Abraham's like 75. Um, and it isn't until he's, you know, 98, 99, somewhere in there, that Abraham is circumcised. That's Genesis chapter 17. Huge difference. And so Paul kind of builds on that idea, builds on that truth. And he says, you know, it's not, it's not your circumcision. It's not, and he kind of uses circumcision as shorthand for obedience to the law. We'll, we'll get that a lot when we get to the book of Galatians as well. But he says, it's not your obedience to the law. It's not your circumcision or your membership in the nation of Israel that makes you one of God's children. Rather, it is those who follow in the faith of Abraham, those who are righteous by faith, because even Abraham was justified through faith and not through deeds. And so the comfort for us today, and what do we learn from this today? That your status in God's eyes as his beloved, redeemed child, it doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on what you have done. It doesn't depend on your track record. It doesn't depend on how long you've been a Christian or how faithful you've been at church. It doesn't depend on your works. And that's an incredible comfort because we know that we know that we ourselves can't measure up to God's standard, God's perfect, perfect standard. And if it depended even in the tiniest little shred on what we do or what we leave undone or our ancestry or any of that, then we'd be lost. Because if only 1% of your salvation depended on you, well, what's 1% of eternity? What's 1% of infinity? What's 1% of holiness? What's 1% of forever? There's nothing we can do. But thanks be to God that he is the one who through his word, he promised and he carried it out. He promised to create faith and he carried it out in your life. And so that's the promise that you and I have today, that you can be absolutely 100% certain that God is smiling upon you that no matter the circumstances in your life right now, that God will continue to see you through it, that God's goodness toward you doesn't depend on the, the external, the fluffy, you know, I know that God is smiling at me because I saw a rainbow today and, a, and my favorite robins showed up to sing outside my window. It doesn't depend on the external um, affairs of the world like that. It doesn't depend on the external circumstances of the world that I know God is smiling upon me or God has favor toward me because I'm successful, because I finally kicked the habit, because I'm, uh, I've made some progress. It doesn't depend on that at all. That God's favor toward you depends on the work of Jesus. And God's favor toward you is guaranteed. This is chapter 4, verse 25, the last verse of chapter 4. God's favor toward you is guaranteed because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead is your proof that God has forgiven your sin. And God has brought that forgiveness into your life through that same baptism and Lord's Supper to remind you to tell you again, to use his word and sacrament to say, your sin is forgiven. And if there is ever any worry here, be reminded again. And, and this kind of brings to mind, at least for me, um, the third article of the Apostles' Creed. You know, the third article, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. What does this mean? I believe that I cannot, by my own thinking or choosing, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. And, and even what we see here, that your status in God's eyes depends on the work of Jesus. 
So also your continuing status in God's eyes and your conversion at the beginning all the way through your preservation until God takes you to heaven depends entirely on the work of the Holy Spirit through his promised word and sacrament. And so as you go about your day, I want you to solidify that in your mind, that God's smiling upon you is guaranteed to you because of the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. That God's favor toward you is guaranteed toward you because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And my guess is that you know at least one person, maybe a few people, who have a little bit of uncertainty right now. A little bit of uncertainty about um, maybe about their jobs or, or what's going to happen next. But you can speak with certainty to say, you know what, dear friend, <laughs> you know what, you can be sure that God is smiling on you and not because of what you see outside, not because of what you feel inside, but because of what God did in rising from the dead, raising himself from the dead. Let me talk to you about this, Jesus. And that's the final point because there are all sorts of other other words and ideas that are certainly scriptural and, and comforting to some degree. But the comfort that we have has to be pointed back to and consistently grounded and regrounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That historical fact is your guarantee, your deed of forgiveness, of righteousness in God's eyes. And where there is forgiveness, there is life and salvation. Where there is forgiveness, God smiles upon you and says, Dear child, talk to me. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, I know you have a lot of choices out here in podcast land. I'm glad that you um, chose to listen to us. And here at the Raised with Jesus podcast, we're still 10 minutes every day where the life of Jesus meets yours. Um, even if it's not, hasn't quite been every day in the last couple of days, uh, we have certainly enough past episodes that you can look those up and um, we'll continue producing content for you, hopefully almost every day. It's been a pleasure to share these minutes with you. God bless your day.